0: Hello, and welcome to the newest episode of Scott Roche's Omniverse. Uh, you know, I've, I've often introduced these by saying which number this is, but I suppose that's uh, becoming somewhat immaterial. It's not important that you listen to them in any particular order. So, in any event, uh, this week's story is called Vicious Cycle. I wrote this story, and several other stories, actually, Thanks to Jeff uh, Height, who's a a longtime friend of mine, and he had a podcast called Great Heights. So I originally wrote and released this story over there. I believe I tweaked it a little bit, and now I have the pleasure of releasing it as part of the Omniverse podcast. Uh, Michael Faulkner is the reader for this story, and he'll tell you about himself in just a little bit. Uh, this is also part of my caveat veritatum science fiction anthology, which is available at Amazon and Smashwords. Uh, no big news this week. Uh, just keep uh, checking out 52 Weeks of Indie at scottroche.com thoughts and make sure that you uh, enter into whatever contest is going on in the week that you listen to this. Assuming that you listened to it in 2012, the wonderful thing about podcasting is you may be listening to this in 2014. And actually, I kind of hope that I'm still doing 52 Weeks of Indie so you might still want to check out uh, the site and make sure that I'm uh, not giving away uh, or make sure that I am giving away some awesome indie fiction. So, uh, with all of that out of the way, I want to thank you for listening and uh, make sure that you... Uh, Drop me a review on iTunes if you like what you hear, and check out the books on Amazon and Smashwords, and also check out the uh, podcasts and and various other endeavors put out by my voice actors for these readings. So I definitely want you to check out Michael Faulkner's stuff, and without further ado, here he is with this
1: week's story. This is Michael Faulkner of the Weekly Podioplex a podcast about new movie releases on The Chronic Rift. You can find my show and a plethora of other great podcasts on The Chronic Rift Network. Please visit www.chronicrift.com. And now, Vicious Cycle, by Scott Roche. The cold chewed at Bogdan's coat. The weather in the little seaside village of Yantarni remained constant, even if the rest of the world was going increasingly crazy. The small, rough stone pyramid he stood in front of served as a monument to the thousands who died here, gunned down by Nazis almost a hundred years ago. Some said this was the last act of the Holocaust, one of the many efforts to erase all evidence of the death camps. True or not, the belief was immaterial, especially in the light of the fact that almost no one in this village remembered the event. Even in the face of such evidence, people turned a blind eye to the uncomfortable facts of history. He tried to cry, but the tears wouldn't come. It was almost as if they were afraid they would be swept away or frozen by the wind. He turned away from the reminder and walked toward the ocean, tasting salt as it crystallized on his face. Maybe it was from tears finally falling. Maybe it was sea spray blown in by the gale. He didn't know. All he did know was the atrocities of the past had been forgotten, not just here, but increasingly all over the world. It wasn't just the slaughter of the Jews, gypsies, Africans, and other undesirables by the German people that had earned the Holocaust its capital H. Other horrors began to fade in the increasingly artificial light of this brave new world. What use was remembering such unfortunate history when we were on the cusp of such a bright and glorious future? A bitter laugh chuffed from his lungs. The new, new Russian democratic movement, the second of its kind in thirty years, held the success of each five-year plan as the party line. He, for one, was sick of hearing how things had changed. Oh, mankind had moved on in many ways, he couldn't deny the fact. The children in this country were almost all fed and warm and healthy. The megacorps, present here as they were in the West, saw to it. The history they were taught by the soulless machines was every bit as whitewashed as it had been in his grandfather's day, when the Soviet government was in charge. He had no way to be certain but he guessed even in his great-great-great-grandfather's day, when the Tsars ruled, it was the same. The ignorance of their past was what truly held people back. George Santayana said, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Bogdan was inclined to agree. It ensured him, and people like him, the job he had now. He faced the backs of the company of soldiers. Their uniforms were identical to his, black and foreboding. The only difference was the red piping at the edges and the nova bursts at the points of his jacket's collar. He led these 30 men into battle. They were equal to a 100 soldiers from decades past in terms of their capacity for destruction. Any one of them could defeat a heavy tank from the late 20th century. Their weapons were trained on the dissidents, kneeling in the snow. Word had come that this cell was responsible for taking down a data cluster in this sector. The outage cost the government and the Megacorps backers hundreds of billions in a matter of hours. He and his men tracked the criminals down, fighting from house to house, neutralizing them. Orders were not to kill them, not right away. No, they were to be made examples. Each soldier had a camera integrated into their gun sight and another in their helmet. These recorded, in detail, the shivering men and women in front of them. This event will be broadcast to the Bureau of Information... From there, once it was properly edited, it would be ready for the general populace. Then, and only then, citizens would see what fate befell enemies of the state. So even if he took a stand against the atrocity he was being forced to commit, no one would bear witness. Without an audience, would it matter? Of course, even if there were an audience and he rebelled, he would fail. What purpose would the failure serve? These questions aided his soul. The leader of this crew of rebels locked eyes with him. Sergei Karamazov was his name. Bogdan knew the name and his dossier by heart, thanks to a computer chip which stored what he willed it to without fail. Everything Karamazov stood for was the practical antithesis of everything Bogdan stood for, at least officially. Still, something in Bogdan cried out, demanding that Karamazov shouldn't die. Bogdan gestured at Karamazov. You, rise and come here. Butterflies danced in his stomach. He had no idea what he would do next. The rebel leader paused, unsure what to do. After a cluster of heartbeats, he did what he was told. The soldiers parted for him. Smooth, mirrored faceplates showed no emotion as they tracked his passage. Karamazov came to stand before the captain. At ease, jaw set firmly. The proximity of his death lent him boldness. There would be no begging for his life. He said nothing, merely waiting for Bogdan to speak. Bogdan pitched his voice low, even though the soldiers would still be able to hear him. Why did you do this? Have you not learned that standing up against what you perceive as tyranny does no good? You will die here on this field, as others have done before you. The resolve on Karamazov's face became pity, or something very like it. We will die, but we will do it on our own terms, having done what we think is best. A thousand martyrs screamed from the abyss. Every one of them died for what they thought was best. How many more would die? How many more men like himself would be responsible for sending them to their graves? Maybe he would break the cycle. Maybe not, but he had to at least try. He nodded at the man. Spoken like a true zealot. We all do what we think is best, don't we? Maybe, maybe not. All I can say for sure is you and your government haven't been doing anything like your best in some time. We decided to fix what we could. The rest is up to you. He knew Karamazov's words were little more than rhetoric, but he still winced. He knew just how far his country had fallen, in spite of their current level of prosperity. The republic stood for a set of ideals once upon a time. Right or wrong, those ideals were better than a country that merely scrabbled for money. The inaction of men just like himself was to blame for the loss. He searched his brain for a way to let Karmasov go. Perhaps if you asked for forgiveness, renounced what you did, and told us who you did it for, I could show you leniency. Another scan of the record showed that nothing he had done demanded penalty of death. Bogdan would pay professionally, if not personally, for any mercy he showed, but it could be worth it. If not for you, then for your people. Of all things, a smile creased the man's face. You don't have the power. He cocked his head. Look, Captain, you're not the guilty one here. It's been decided by those above you that we are going to die. It's obvious to me you don't want the responsibility, and so I hereby absolve you. The last four words struck Bogdan's heart like a dagger. Anger replaced earlier sadness like a rush of ice water over live coals. There would be no loophole or last-minute reprieve, Karamazov had too much pride to bow to the state or to beg for forgiveness. Even the lives of his own people weren't worth it to him. Absolve me? It is you who should be seeking absolution. He pointed a finger. You are guilty, not me. If it hadn't been for Karamazov's pig-headedness, there would be no need for the slaughter about to occur. The thought comforted Bogdan. This man's death would not be on his hands. Get back with your men. Karamazov nodded and shrugged, returning to take his place on the snow covered ground. One hand scrubbed the other absent mindedly. The rebel leader's eyes had a light in them Bogdan did not understand. Under different circumstances, the captain would have said that he was laughing at some inside joke. Men, form ranks. The soldier snapped to attention. Take aim. Rifle butt slammed against shoulders. He waited, drawing out the moment. At the last, he let his eyes shift to the sea. Fire! The flat pops seemed almost anticlimactic, but he knew rounds would find their targets, and bodies now lie twitching. The small monument caught his eye. He barked in order, and one soldier broke off from the rest. Seconds later, the pyramid was reduced to slag. As Bogdan's personal transport left the ground, he could see the remains, flesh and stone, were already covered in white. The Flashpulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice
0: weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars, and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at Flashpulp.com or search for it on iTunes.